listener. Car Sales acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. I guess I would say design is a big part of how I choose a car. The thing with EVs, though, is that they kind of all look the same and they have that spaceship-type bubble look about them. Those early designs, thankfully, are changing. Sleeker styles and bodywork that kind of screams muscle. That all hasn't been shelved just because of the push toward EVs. You tend to hear a car before you see a car, so I guess that is something that EVs kind of lose out on, but surely that's going to change soon, right? It sure is. The sound design is something we'll cover for you in this episode too. Will that fill a void for those who love the authentic, infectious sound, I think of V8s, that comes from an ice car and clever exhaust systems? Hi everybody, Greg Rustin, Nadine Armstrong with you for our first step of what's under the bonnet for a brand new year. Wishing you and your families all of the very best for 2023. We hope you had a nice break. Uh, you've been overseas, my friend. Any cool EVs catching your eye while you're in England and Europe? Come on. Yeah, back to the UK for the family. I, I must say there wasn't anything new. I, I had been there during the year. So, And the thing that still stood out to me were those super silent black cabs, which I just love. I think they're the best kind of transport for a tourist. They're amazing. So, you know, they, they were still just sort of catching my eye in terms of the transport in, in the city of London. Awesome. Now, while you've been gone... I had a little run in a Polestar 2, which I was a, a lot of fun. So, and you know, sometimes when you get to sample these things at motor vehicle launches and so on, you might get a couple of laps if you're at a track or whatever it might be. Uh, I actually got to have it for five days. Yeah, it's really different, isn't it? it it's yeah. really different. And I got to drive it through some cool kind of mountainous roads on the South Island of New Zealand up around Wanaka and over towards Cromwell out of Queenstown and places like that, the Crown Range Road. It is a very well-built, nicely appointed car and it had a lot of people turning heads. What is this thing? Yeah, I think Polestar is getting a bit of attention for that very fact that it's it's not a name that everybody knows, so it is a little bit more enticing and exciting, particularly for those uh, early adopters. We had a great reaction to the design legend Ralph Shields um, when he came on the pod last time. He has agreed, such a good bloke, to come on and do a part two. He's incredibly passionate, articulate, really good around the whole subject of design. So stand by for that one. Yes, and our Meet and Evia is someone who works in the sustainable home energy space and clocks up a lot of Ks each year. We'll answer your listener mail too. Thank you for sending those through over the Christmas break, the festive season. There is one in there on towing, which is nicely timed as well for the holidays. We'll bounce through some other EV news too, but we want to start this edition with the launch of the Audi e-tron GT. Impressively ticks a number of boxes, this car. The shape kind of represents everything that's good with EV design, sleek, aerodynamic body, starting to look at all round. But what they've done with the sound design of the car is very impressive, pushing some new boundaries there. So Stefan Gassel is a sound engineer for the German automaker who played an important part in the model sound. And he's on the line to talk with us about it. Thank you for joining us. Now, before we get into this, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself? Have you always worked in sound design? Actually, after my studies in electrical engineering and I did a PhD in mechanical engineering and 
Afterwards, I started at Audi to make the cars uh, quieter. But <laughs> That's ironic. After a couple of, after a couple of weeks or months, um, I had the chance to actually make a sound for the first hybrid vehicle that we were uh, producing, and I took the chance and I've done this ever since. So when we think about you know the sound of a car, it's not something that everybody really thinks about when you get behind the wheel of a car, but Things have changed with the rise of electric vehicles. I think people are more heightened to that, you know, what a car sounds like because they sound quite different. Tell us, you know, why why is that? Okay, so first of all, as you mentioned, EVs are pretty quiet. That is actually the reason why associations of visually impaired people, they noticed that as well a couple of years ago. And they figured that it's hard for them to cross the streets safely. Most countries in the world now have laws that make us create artificial sounds to warn the pedestrians when they are crossing the streets or when they're in the parking lot. That is the main reason for us to do it. But when we notice that you can also create beautiful sound to help the brand identity, so we try to do it the right way, not just make a warning sound, but also a beautiful sound. You often hear a car before you can even see it. I mean, when it's passing around the corner, for example, the least sound that is required by the law, that would be two beep tones, for example. And if you had a sound like that, then everybody would say, ooh, that car doesn't sound very nice. I <laughs> I don't like it. You could frighten the customers to not buy this car. The Audi e-tron GT launched in Australia just in, in recent days. At what point in the development of that vehicle, did your expertise come into play? That is a good question, actually, because when we first heard that Audi was creating a new sporty electric vehicle, then we were thinking about, oh, how do we want the car to sound like? By that time, we didn't even have a picture of the car. So we were thinking, oh, this is a pretty sporty car. It might look like our R8. Then we made our first sound setups. After a while, we we got the first photos of the car and the first uh, prototypes, and we noticed this is not a super sports car, but this is more like a sporty limousine, a Grand Turismo. We kind of had to change our first sound designs to emphasize the new look of the car. Yeah, I love that. So what qualities of the e-tron GT did you want to capture in the sound that you ended up creating? So what really inspired you once you got to see the vehicle? Yes, yeah, so it still is a very powerful car. That is what we like to transport with our sound as well. We like to transport the power of the car by low frequencies in, in our sound setup. And also it is an expressive exterior design. And so we can also use some more expressive in the exterior sound design as well. What did the development phase of creating the e-tron GT sound kind of look like? It, it's a lot more hands-on than people might think, I guess. Well, on the one hand, you might think so. And that is also the fun part of our job, that we do some recording whenever we are around something and we hear something interesting. We we try to imagine how to use this in a sound. And then at the same time, we still have a lot of the boring type of work to put it all together, to cut out all the glitches in the sound and and, and to make it fulfill all the legal requirements. So we have different ingredients in our sound. One would be the the pipe that is blown by a fan. Also, we were using didgeridoo sounds. Ah, I like that. Um, because we always have to find something, a continuous sound. If you hammer on a table, for example, then you get one impulse. If you record it and play it back, then you get multiple impulses. 
So we have to find some devices that make a continuous sound. And the didgeridoo was perfect for that. I'm sure that I saw something like a remote control helicopter. And that is one technical device that you might think of. It's an it's a RC helicopter. And if you put a microphone right below the rotators, you get a very nice modulation of the sound. And if you play that back at different rates, you will get a very nice sound. It's always our task to find something interesting that we can use in our sounds. Like a good cook, you don't always tell about your complete recipe. <laughs> you sound like my great-grandma. She would never give it away. <laughs> Just talk to us a bit about software that you use to create this sound. This is a self-developed software, as I understand it, called the Audi eSound GUI. So it's it's pretty unique to eTron, isn't it? Exactly. That is the software that we started uh, developing a couple of years ago when we did our first sounds and we noticed that there was simply no software for sound tuning available that you could buy on the market. We have different requirements than, say, for music production. In a music production, they're using digital audio workstations where you have different layers for the guitar, for the drums, and for the singing. Then you compose a sound, and after three and a half minutes, the song is over. With the sound of a car, it's always playing. It's playing when you start the engine, or <laughs> that's a little different, difficult, different <laughs> yeah. in electric vehicles. When you're driving on a parking lot, when you're driving in a city, when you're driving on a highway, it's always playing until you exit the car. And so you have to find something that is that always sounds nice. We didn't find this in any software that we could buy, so we started developing our own software. You talk about that, you know, this is completely different to composing a song, which you say, you know, goes for a few minutes. So it's continuous, but it also has to adapt to the driver inputs. So how, how challenging mm -hmm. is that? First of all, we similar to the um, music production, we have different layers or uh, soundtracks, what we call them. So those are all short recordings, for example, of, I mean, you've seen the videos. We have a recording of a fan blowing through a pipe. Music instruments come into play as well. But we like to use technical devices as the car is a technical device as well. It's not a music instrument, in our opinion, but rather a technical device. So we are using a lot of recordings of other devices. So those are all small pieces of, uh, of audio and they are loopable, so they will play infinitely. With the software, we mix 32 tracks together. We can increase the playback rate of one of those loops by binding it to the vehicle velocity. So when the vehicle speed increases, the playback rate will increase as well. What we also do is we increase the loudness of this soundtrack independency of the torque of the vehicle. So when you push the gas pedal, the sound will be louder. And I think the main feature of this software is that we can do all of this in the office with our computer and headphones or loudspeakers. The main feature of this software is that we can plug it into the car as well. And while we are driving the car, we can manipulate the sound and then we can directly hear what is happening. Oh, wow. So real feedback, like real-time sort of testing about what your sound exactly. will sound like. Exactly. And there is a huge gap in between tuning in the office and then tuning in the car. It sounds completely different. And in that phase, do you test in different environments? So different countries, different weather, different 
types of driving conditions? Does that impact uh, the way that you would develop the sound as well? That is um, a very important task. We At first, we do a lot of testing in the test bench that is an echoic chamber. The good thing about this test stand is that you can walk around the car because wherever you are, you will hear different things. And that is a, an important task for us to have the sound be nice all around the car as well as inside the car. It shouldn't be annoying. But once we are happy with the sound in this test bench, then of course we, we drive around on the streets on the outside. We yeah. do have a snippet of the track here. So we're just going to play that now. How important is it to create a sound that was unique to the e-tron GT, not just to kind of mimic the sound of an ice vehicle? Fun fact is that the first vehicle that we created the sound for, that was a hybrid vehicle seven years ago, there we we tried to imitate a, a combustion engine. After a while, we noticed that that is probably not what the customer wants to hear. With the combustion engines, you usually have the repetition sounds of the valves with a pop, 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 something like that. (laughs) We're not copying that anymore, but we are creating a sound that makes you feel like it's a car sound, but it's not a combustion sound. But at the same time, it's not a a spaceship. (laughs) So we have to find something in between. So with the e-tron GT, that is our first EV that has exterior and interior sound. And you can select three modes with our drive select systems, efficiency, um, comfort, and dynamic. So in efficiency, we just have the exterior sound that is fulfilling all the legal requirements, but still sounding pretty nice. With comfort, it's playing up to higher velocities in the dynamic mode. That is when you want to have fun with while driving. Yes, yeah, yeah. Tell me about where you find inspiration when you're out and about? Do you hear things that you think will work? How, how when you're trying to develop a sound and, and be your most creative, what, what are you, what's your go-to? Actually, it is. Ever since I started working on that topic, I'm running with open ears through the environment. I always notice different sounds wherever I go and try to think if that might be usable in a sound. The other way around is when you have a recording of something that you say, oh, this must be very nice in a, in a car sound, then you often are disappointed because it's not usable <laughs> at all. Yeah. And it doesn't sound uh, very nice when you, when you pitch the sound. You know, when you're at, at low speeds, it has to sound nice. And at higher speeds, it needs to sound nice as well. On the other way around, um, for example, an electric toothbrush or, or a lawnmower, you get the impression it doesn't sound very nice um, when it's in real-time speed. It's too high-pitched. But if you decrease the playback rate, then it might all of a sudden sound pretty interesting. I think you should be pretty proud of what you've achieved with the e-tron GT. And I know that it's uh, it's going to be very well received in the Australian market. I think, you know, the sound and the overall design, it's that sophistication, it's that sleek, but you've managed to keep that, you know, that performance edge. It's it must be a really tricky puzzle to to bring that all together. And I I think you should uh, be very proud. (laughs) Thank you. When we were playing around with the sound, it was a lot of fun and driving that car. We also had some ideas that you could, some features in the sound that might be interesting. For example, in Star Wars, there's a pot race. There is a, a certain tone or you get the um, 
Can you do that again? <laughs> I think I'm not such an artist with, uh, replicating sounds from movies. We tried to implement this in our sound and that was working well, I think. And it, it was sounding pretty cool with the car. But after a while, we noticed that we cannot really sell a car with that sound because it might be too annoying. You have to be careful about what you implement in the sound to not annoy the customers. Will sound be a, a real focus for Audi EVs going forward, Stefan? We like to think that each car needs its own sound because it's, an, it's a new car because of different loudspeakers that you're using, different loudspeaker positions, different shapes of the outside of the car that will all shape the, the sound signature. So we have to tune the sound anyways to fulfill all the legal requirements. And during that process, we think that we should also do a new sound for each car. We are always evolving um, with our sounds. I like to think, or I hope that we are always getting better. But of course, we have all the knowledge from the previous projects and we can use bits and pieces of all the old cars. That is basically how we are approaching this topic. Stefan, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Like you said, we could talk for hours about this. I think there are so many things that I, I would like to learn about this topic, but the EV landscape is really exciting in Australia. So I know that it's going to be welcomed with open arms here. So thank you for spending the time. I know that it's uh, the time difference has been tricky. So thank you. We really, really appreciate your time. And we look forward to maybe talking to you in another episode of What's Under the Bonnet. Yeah, thank you as well. Our meet and ev today is not your run-of-the-mill EV owner. Chris Kerr is the Vice President Clipsal by Schneider Electric and an expert on sustainability, home energy management, home renewables and automation, and racking up more than 30,000 EV kilometres, living and breathing electric vehicles, he is an EV expert. Chris, welcome to What's Under the Bonnet. Great to be here. Any surprises along the way? I mean, that's now, you're, you're the seasoned pro here that we're, we're, we're looking to. <laughs> yeah, quite a lot, actually. We own a Hyundai Ionic 5. You know, probably the first thing is range anxiety. I think a lot of owners will talk about that. There really isn't any range anxiety for us. But the big thing about EVs is your home becomes your energy station. And the outcome of us having this car, it's actually become very inconvenient to go to the petrol station with our normal <laughs> ICE car. So we thought we'd always be charging. You've got to treat your car like, and this is what I tell my friends, is like that old school Nokia that used to last a week rather than the iPhone that you have to keep charging every five minutes. So it's not actually good for the battery health to keep on charging it. But when you've got that home energy station, it's just plug it in when it's convenient and when it makes sense. So how, how low would you let that battery charge get? Because we're here sort of between sort of 20 to 90%. Is that optimal? Yeah, look, I, um, I mean, it's hard to, you know, coming from a technical background, there's a lot of theory around how do you measure the battery health? How do you do the state? But from our perspective, we let it run up and down. When you leave a car in a really high state of charge, it does become a little bit of a problem. So, you know, I get more nervous when it's sitting on 100%. <laughs> And it's like not being used, whereas I'm happy for it to sit between that, you know, 50 and 60%. You become very comfortable over time. That 30,000 Ks that we talked about, we did that in nine months. And that was essentially going to Sydney every week. So you become very good in, in understanding and trusting the car 
you talk about the Hyundai Ionic Five, which you mentioned at the beginning of the of the conversation. I was lucky enough to drive one of those in South Australia last year. The subject of our our pod today is around design. So was that a factor? That design appeal of that car was that a factor in your your choice? Yeah, absolutely. Like I've never really been uh, attracted by the design of some of the first electric cars that have been out there. I thought they were a little bit weird. I couldn't understand the just the one central screen the minimalism of that, you know, I wanted something that meant something. And, you know, the Ionic 5 really for me is, you know, I'm probably showing my age here, but I remember the Lancia Delta, Group B Delta car. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> and as a kid, just watching, you know, like the likes of Ari Barton and, and all that sort of stuff. And when I saw the Ionic 5, I actually saw the Lancia Delta in that and and the design of it and, and I wanted to understand more about that. And what, from what I understand is the designer of the Lancia Delta actually went across to design the first car for Hyundai. That language has really come through. I do like great design. And with the Hyundai, it's, you know, that design is not just on the, only on the outside, it's on the inside as well. I'm a pilot in training. In private planes, you can get what they call all glass, where everything is, you know, maybe a bit like the Tesla, you can get old school analog and then you can get the mix, the hybrid. And the hybrid is the one that I'm attracted to the most. Okay. So in the car on the Ionic 5, it's exactly the same design. So you've got this volume knob, you know, if you want it. You've got the heater controls <laughs> if you want it. I don't have to delve into a screen, although I can. Just that stuff that, you know, becomes more tactile. So in terms of design, the outside, yeah, perfect. What I really like. And the inside, just such a great car. The one thing I remember about the Ionic 5, particularly having a young family, is it's almost that TARDIS-like. It's quite incredible, oh, the space yeah. they've carved out. It's, I know the flat floor makes such a huge difference, but still it's very clever design internally. And I think it is. it really does appeal to the family buyer for that very reason. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's, um, we traded from that. We had an Audi SQ7. It's a big mm. car. Yeah. Um, a three-metre wheelbase. And this has a bigger wheelbase than the Audi SQ7. So the platform, the skateboard platform that um, they've developed, and I can just see them over time putting shelves on top of it. <laughs> that platform inside it's yeah, it's cavernous. It's massive. <laughs> so that kind of leads us, because you've talked about what you've had before, what you've got now. What's next? What's on the wish list, do you reckon, if you... Uh... We really need a seven-seater, so... We're actually looking at the moment at the new LDV MIFA 9. I think that's going to be a, that, that will be our next car if we can afford it. That's exciting. A bit, a bit of a change of pace there, but that's quite exciting. Yeah, well, we need that. We need that people mover, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of people do. Our house is now set up for this and, you know, we've got solar at home. You know, that 30,000 kilometres that we've done, we've only paid $250 odd worth of paid electricity. Yeah. And that's just been using supercharger now and then to top up. So majority of the charging is done at home. You know, I think there are 48,000 pumps out there, I think, out in Australia, but there's 9.8 million homes and every home can be the energy station for you, right? So mm. one of the key learnings that I learned out of that too is, you know, coming from the tech world is like, okay, let's put in this infrastructure for our house. Let's make it the biggest and best that you can. What we learned was, no, at home we charge low and slow because the car's sitting for a long time and that enables the car 
to take a charge of around three and a half to five kilowatts of power. And that means that it's green. So essentially it's coming from the solar. Yeah, I think that's probably a good lesson. I, I think we're a little bit of impatient as a nation maybe and we think that the fast charging is the only and the best way to go. But it, it is just about, you know, being a little more mindful about when you're charging and if you want to be, you know, using your solar energy or green energy. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the point. I would say that most EV owners have probably got solar. You know, 30% of households in Australia have solar. It's going to go to 50% by 2030. In my job, it's all about, and you mentioned in the introduction around home energy management, we're um, experts in home automation and we're experts in delivering power into the home. We will be in the homes of most Australians. The next step is, well, how do I manage that and how do I do that in a consumer-friendly way? We can talk about kilowatts all we like, but most consumers don't understand that unit of energy now. The, the big thing is, Standalone homes in Australia are already set up for this. You just need to put in the extension cord, which is essentially what the, and the simplifying the uh, EV charger, putting that in and getting ready. But your car's sitting there static a hell of a lot and enables you to be able to charge low and slow. Chris, you've had a couple of great tips along the way here. Before we let you go, are there any others for either EV owners or people about to take the plunge potentially? Oh, just jump in, you know. <laughs> in fact, I talked to a, an owner this morning who bought a Volvo uh, hybrid. It's a plug-in hybrid. has 70 kilometres uh, of battery storage. And I mean, she, she has not filled up the car in three months, you know. So even just a 70-kilometre uh, battery is enabling her to do everything that she can do in the metro areas. So this whole range anxiety, I think the quicker you can go into it, the more the more benefit that you're going to get out of it. You know, even though Australia is late to the party on uh, EVs, what's happened is the infrastructure is going in first, which is ideal, rather than trying to play catch up. So, yeah, this is like early Wi-Fi days, you know, you're going to get all these free (laughs) internet cafes and stuff. So it's a really exciting future. And my advice would be get in there quick, find something that's going to serve you, and I think you'll be incredibly surprised at the outcome. I love the insights and especially the analogies in this chat, mate. Thank you. The parallel with the Lancia Delta and the Ionic 5 is now embedded in my brain because that's exactly what it's like. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Excellent. Thanks. We talked about the new Audi e-tron GT at the top of today's show. Time to bounce through a few other headlines, a bit of news that is jumping out at us. Don't forget between EPS 2 that our electric vehicle hub is your go-to. Carsales.com.au forward slash electric. There are some great tools in there like advice on what it costs to maintain an EV, for example, range and how it's measured. And there's a quick quiz that is worth taking just to see if you are ready to make the switch, just to see if you kind of tooled up. Now, uh, Nadine, wild 300 kilowatt Lexus RZ Sport revealed, and I love the look of this thing. Yeah, I think wild, wild is right, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> mega stance. Uh, it kind of has a little bit of Range Rover about it, but the rear wings, that's plural, is a little bit like World Rally Championship stuff, isn't it? Yeah, I think it looks fantastic. Twin 150-kilowatt motors. And we haven't even got the standard RZ here in Australia yet, and I'm already excited about this one. So I think I think it's really, really taken the eye of quite a few people. 
those motors are a significant step up too. I think what was it before one fifty kilowatt front, eighty rear, or something or others? What is it now? Twin one fifties. Yeah, they've really beefed this up in in looks and actual substance. So I think it might be a pretty exciting. We know that Australians love anything that's been beefed up. So look out for that one. That is Nadine Armstrong basically saying she's going to elbow me out the way <laughs> to get to the PR department of Lexus Australia. A big hello and welcome to you. Uh, now, we have, if you go through our library here on what's under the bonnet, we have spoken to Rove founder Noah Wasma before. Great chat there about their ute conversions. And Nads, it looks like we're not the only ones who were interested in that subject because am I right in saying they're completely sold out for 2023? <laughs> Absolutely. And, it's, and it is no surprise. It's fantastic what they're doing and, and Australians love their dual cab utes and the ones that can afford it are, are picking it up and, and turning them into electric vehicles. So you know, they started with the Hilux and the Ranger, turning them into fully electric power. Go back and listen to the episode. It's quite an inspiring story from Rove. And obviously the market has heard their plight and they're coming. He oozes enthusiasm on this subject matter. You'll enjoy that chat if you haven't heard it. Now, EV to you, one to watch. We know... Uh, range anxiety is a huge barrier or concern for would-be EV buyers, but these guys have kind of your back in this in this regard, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's EV to you is an offshoot from EV Direct, who are the importers of BYD Australia, and details are pretty thin on the ground for now. But what we know is that they will have a fleet. It's literally like roadside assistance that will come and top up your BYD if God forsake if you're out on the road and you and you run out of power. So. It'll give you enough to get to your next charging station, essentially. Now, hard to do an electric vehicle podcast without using the word Tesla somewhere. So, Model 2, this has got tongues wagging, coming soon. What can you tell us? Yeah, and Elon's keeping fairly tight-lipped on this one at the moment. Haven't haven't really called it anything yet or confirmed even exactly what it's going to look like. It's going to be a smaller Tesla. But I think, yeah, exactly. We can't talk about EVs without talking about Tesla. They're dominating the sales, and I think they will continue as they're product portfolio grows and Australians really do like Tesla. So I'm looking forward to seeing what's happening with what we'll call the Model 2 for now. There you go. Elon Musk and the word tight-lipped. I don't know that I'd ever used that in the same <laughs> sentence before, given some of the crazy stuff on uh, on Twitter. Awesome. So a little bit of a snapshot of news for you. As we said at the top of the segment, don't forget carsales.com.au forward slash electric. Our electric vehicle hub is the place to stay up to date. Listener Mailbox. Just plugging in and downloading the What's Under the Bonnet listener mail bit in there from the break too. Here is one from Peter on EVs and towing capability. Hey guys, Peter here. Just wondering if the new EV vehicles can have the same towing capacity as current ICE vehicles. He sounds like he's in an outdoor environment, like he's ready to go he's four-wheel driving. Go. Or he's, he's, he's got the up, camping gear set up, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. Thank, thanks, Peter. And yes, the answer is EVs can tow, and that instant talk means that they can actually be really good at it. But like any vehicle towing, it's a matter of physics. So be sure to do your research. Hauling a load impacts your car's performance and potential range. Now, episode six, we dealt with the disgraceful myth that EVs mean the end of the Aussie weekend away. And we did talk a bit about towing and off-road capability, so I would check that out also. And then jump on carsales.com.au for our latest tow tests because whenever we have an EV that can tow, we put it through a tow test as well. Uh, the Model X, for example, when that came out, I know Chris Fincham, our caravan camping and sales editor, took it on a tow test and he hauled a caravan, I think it was about 1,900 kilograms. It has a rating of up to 2,250 kg, so... 
Ionic 5, I think it's around 1,600 kg. Audi e-tron's around 1,800. Some of them are yet to be rated, but I think you'll see that coming through. So get online and do your research. But the answer in short is yes, they can tow. Well, here's one now. Um, you can send them either way. Um, you can send an audio file to us or just, just type up an email. This one is from a listener, Robert. I'll try and do my best to paraphrase here. So he says, I drive an Ionic 28 kilowatt AE2 version, always impressed with the efficient design of the car. I think it averages 10.2 kilowatt hours per 100 Ks due to the, the well-designed drive system and streamlined shape. Low energy tyres make a huge difference, but I still get a summertime range of 250 kilometres. It seems that later design vehicles pay little heed to the need for efficiency instead of opting for bigger batteries and greater weight. So to, to his question, Robert, thank you for this. Is this all in the name of style? Do manufacturers prefer the, the better selling boxy SUV bodies that consume upwards of 17 kilowatts per 100 Ks? There's so much to unravel in there. <laughs> <laughs> there, there really is. And I, and I think, yeah, and, and it's perfect for this episode talking about design, but yes, you know, Australians in general, we love that big boxy SUV shape. Australians SUVs sell great here. So yes, that, that body style is very popular and it's because it's so versatile. But yes, the flip side to that is they're not always as aerodynamic and efficient, are they? And the Ionic that Robert talks about is much more sleek. So It's worth pointing out though, that, I mean, with that sort of look, the aero drag is the enemy, isn't it? Absolutely. And and it's one of those things that people that like that look, then that they're happy to make that sacrifice. Like like many things, if you drive a big heavy car, as as with ICE vehicles, people were happy to sacrifice that, you know, their fuel efficiency. So I don't think that will change too much. People will still want what they want in terms of looks. I reckon I spotted something from the Citroen executive or CEO very recently on the impact of this on SUVs, maybe even like the death of it. Uh, that's... That's a big call because particularly in this country, we love those sort of vehicles, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Big call. I'd like to see how that plays out. I think it could be a little bit optimistic for our market, but let's see how we go. All right. We would love your show input. Send it to us, podcast at carsales.com.au. Because we're on the subject of design, we thought it would be great to get Ralph Shields back on the pod. And you can find his last chat with us on Jeep in the end of your weekend episode we mentioned before. It's actually episode six in the What's Under the Bonnet Library. He has a long-term connection to the Fiat Chrysler Group. He was head of design, but has worked, in fact, in their design office, if you look at his um, CV, as far back as the early 90s. His resume includes things like president, CEO of Dodge, um, SRT, does a bit of racing from time to time, and has been a judge uh, on occasion at Pebble Beach Concourse as well. He is, as they often say, car guy. Ralph, thank you very much for chatting with us again. I'm so lucky to be back. It's fun talking to you guys last time. It's us that's lucky. For so many buyers, the whole notion of EV design has been a bit of a, you know, kind of a polarizing subject. Are we at the point of saying that a standardized shape, we don't have to think about that. There are some good things coming in, in design terms. Yeah, well, as a head of design now for quite a while in the industry, I've been watching this space and it seems uh, for a while, you could argue a lot of electric cars you associated to being jelly bean like. 
that, that's that's quite kind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they're fighting aerodynamics. They're trying to you know eke out every last kilometer of range with aero. Aerodynamics is a big enabler, of course. But uh, the good news is, as we move on in this industry, uh, the batteries are getting better. The the technology is getting better. We understand how to manage the energy on board a lot better. So we don't need to rely on every last ounce. And for Jeep, we have to make the trade off to kind of uh, balance the aesthetics. Ralph, I want you to tell me about Jeep's seven-slot grill. It is as iconic as Mm -hmm. your vehicles. Tell me it's staying. (laughs) Absolutely. We don't need it to cool the same way. Uh, It's more going to become a graphic, an iconic graphic. We'll have some fun with it, so stay tuned. Yeah, It's probably worth, Ralph, Mm -hmm. for our audience, just peeling it back a fraction. I mean, you use that analogy of the jelly bean. Why why do they look different? It's to do uh, around packaging and things like that, is it? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, the, the, especially now as you go forward, there's no engine anymore, right? So the hood can, can be quite low. The mm. windshield can be pushed forward a little bit. And it does help, again, aerodynamics. The other thing going on in our industry is that slippery jelly bean look seems to be associated with this futurism, this kind of, mm. oh, the car is high tech. It's, you know, uh, let's say Tesla-like. That's it. Everyone uses that a lot. Uh, but for Jeep, we're going to march to our own drum. We're going to do our own thing uh, with vehicles like that. What are the benefits of a, of a dedicated EV platform for from a designer's perspective? Is it like a blank canvas? Is, is it exciting? Absolutely. Uh, and it doesn't happen often that we get brand new platforms. Typically, people don't realize this, but platforms tend to live uh, 10 years, some of them 20 years. Uh, automakers do a good job of disguising that. But in this case, uh, as we speak, I'm working on multiple uh, nameplates and for Jeep, several products on a brand new series of platforms we call Stella Large, Stella Medium. And they are shared with other brands, honestly, with other brands within our portfolio. Uh, But we're allowed to bolt on some pretty cool tech uh, to make them absolutely perfect uh, for the Jeep brand. The need to differentiate, Ralph, how much of the brand's DNA needs to be retained, I guess, in that that EV design and, and approach? Because it is so important to your customer, isn't it? It is. And uh uh, can I can I get something off my chest here? When I look at other automakers stealing from Jeep, you know, <laughs> using these yes. <laughs> I look at you know the the trap trapezoidal wheel arches and and the uh, the boxiness. A lot of those details we've had forever, and watching that on a, in other competitors' vehicles is flattery. I really am flattered by that because it means they're they're trying to let's say, siphon some of that jeepness over. Uh, But for us, it's extremely important. Now, we do have, let's say, two bloodlines of Jeep. We've got the boxy Jeeps and we have the more uh, on-road Jeeps like the Grand Cherokee. We enjoy that. We actually enjoy this idea. But when it comes to serious off-roading, the Wrangler is the pinnacle. That is the symbolic, that silhouette anybody in the world can recognize. If If I was to draw the silhouette of the Wrangler, everyone could tell you exactly what that is. And that means the world to us. What excites you about the future of EV design? As a designer, just, you know, if you, you know, said, here, free reign, go and do this, what, what is the exciting part for you? I think the, the fact that it's a clean slate, it really is. Um, some of it you can't see at first look. It's really the inside. We can actually uh, uh, give the customer back a lot of uh, cool packaging solutions, uh, flatter floors, all kinds of cool stuff. You can you know go to a, you know, camp inside your Jeep versus in a tent. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, things like that. So there's a lot of... Um, uh, fun factors that we're just starting to really get into. Uh, and then even different uh, shapes altogether. I mean, the current vehicle shapes that you know today are designed around the gas engine. Um, one day, the monospace, you know, could you imagine a Jeep that looks uh, monospace? How do you make it not look like a minivan, but still be as functional? So that's something we're trying to crack the code on that. Of course, it's not easy um, when you're changing something iconic. 
uh, we, we tend to get a little pushback. You know? I mean, that sort of leads us, Ralph, to the things, you know, without giving away trade secrets, but what kind of broader things do you think we're likely to see in terms of future EV design and so on? Wow. And I think you're already seeing it today, just the beginnings of it, where vehicle sizes are starting to blur. Um, compacts are getting a little bigger. Bigger vehicles might seem smaller because they don't have big, big hoods and everything else. Uh, so I think that there's a kind of a sweet spot dimension we're realizing that makes the best use of the package, the batteries, the motors, without making the vehicle too large. So I think cars are going to stabilize in size and actually start to shrink a little bit more as they become more efficient. But there's a heroics, you know, you, you know, an electric car needs a personality just like a, an, any other car. When we grew up, I would say <laughs> we knew our cars by our engines. You know, we knew them by the designation on the back of the vehicle. It said a double overhead cam or, a, you know, V8 or whatever it was. Tomorrow it's going to be what voltage it's going to be. <laughs> it's going to be some interesting way to communicate power and, and capability. You touched on just sort of the, you know, the big flat floor platform. It allows for greater use of space. So yeah. that must be exciting for people that do design that that kind of thing. I mean, we talk about frunks. It's yeah. <laughs> it's not something anyone knew about a long time ago. Nadine, you're right on. I mean, it, it's actually materializing in the complexion of the type of designers we hire now. We're actually hiring many more interior designers, product designers, uh, UX, we call it user experience designers. And they have attacked the problem. Actually, uh, in our, our new recon coming out in a few years, the interior is, is a sight to behold. I mean, it's just a lot of clever solutions, a uh, use of space that we couldn't do before, which customers will they'll be delighted by that, hopefully. It's even the computers. We have more screens now than ever before. So the vehicle becomes an entertainment device. When you're just sitting there enjoying nature, you can watch your favorite shows. It becomes like an in-place theater. Just a lot of cool stuff, seat configurations that become camping solutions and sleeping quarters. It just goes on and on. Ralph, I had a conversation with Chip Foose a couple of years ago around the whole notion of, of customization, personalization, and whether that be, you know, well down the track if it's an autonomous vehicle or, or an EV now. And, you know, I, I said to him, you know, some people have this perception that they'll all be boxy and the same color and so on. And he looked at me and he said, that's like saying fashion will die. <laughs> and it, I mean, it's just that the, the opportunities to do great things in this space are cool, aren't they? Yeah. First of all, I love Chip. He's he's right on. I totally agree with him. Uh, and anytime there's a change in the industry, there might be a little pause where everyone's dealing with it. And then, you know, all of that energy rushes right back, you know, the individualization. Uh, I know there's going to be a huge aftermarket. There already is. It's not going to go anywhere. These people are going to just dig into a new fun project, just like everything else. We could talk with you for ages. I think I said in our introduction when you came on um, a few episodes back about your, you know, the fact that you've been a judge on regular occasions at Pebble Beach. You love, you know, spectating at Formula One and carts and things like that. Have you embraced the notion of electric racing and can you see yourself, you know, judging on some very cool cars in, in the future? Yeah, I think it's inevitable. Uh, it's starting to happen, you know, with our company now. We're, we're, we're part of our Maserati group is part of the uh, Formula E series. And and people may not know your audience, man. I know we, we merged with Peugeot and, and they're winners. They, they're just launching their first uh, electric WEC uh, rally car. Uh, so that's going to be cool to watch that. Um, and, and talk about off-roading and rallying have a lot of parallels. You know, that instant torque, that, that voracious amount of power. Uh, to claw the dirt is just there's nothing like it so in terms of me as a designer watching this evolve you're exactly going to pebble i see cars from the 12s from the 10s you know all the way through now 120 years worth of vehicle evolution it's fascinating and, and the industry reinvents itself constantly and that's that's kind of what keeps me interested in it talking about fashion and design and where, where i don't know rusty where you get your uh 
fashion influence from, but, but Ralph, <laughs> Ralph, where do you look to? So, you know, like future trends, where do you look to as a designer? Are there certain things you need to keep an eye on to see what's coming up? You know, is something a fad? How do you, how do you find that balance between design versus yeah. trend? Good question. Number one is our industry itself. I mean, auto shows are, are finally making a comeback after a, a bit of a pause and concepts are a very good way to see what what everyone's thinking. And, and you see some great stuff starting to come out of um, Asia, actually, some really uh, forward thinking uh, design uh, from all over the world. It's actually quite, quite interesting to see how people are predicting the future through their concepts. So that's one place. But as a designer, you know, fashion industry moves a little too quickly. <laughs> it's stuff is in and out within three months or six months sometimes. But we do look at architecture, uh, product design, uh, electronic, home goods. Um, I'm a big fan of, of uh, interior design. You know, when I go to a fancier hotel, I look at all the details, you know, audio equipment, uh, Bang & Olufsen, you know, some of the stuff that you see. And that space is is amazing. And just like us, they're enjoying the modern tools of design. I mean, there's uh, 3D printing has, has really changed the game. Uh, even the computing power of our design tools, we can design things that we couldn't even imagine uh, even as little as five years ago. So that opens up a lot of thinking, a lot of um, risk taking, I would say, because you know you can tool it up. You can at least try it out if it doesn't work. Uh, so we're going to see more experimentation. But I think the battleground for vehicles and cars is going to be the interior. A lot of flexibility now, um, also a lot of fun to be had. Ralph, we often ask people about what posters they had on their wall as a child or what's the dream car. All-time best design. Go. Wow. Um, I would say the 911. I had a 930 yes. on on my bedroom wall in when I was six years old, 1976, and I actually own that car to this day, and I think it's beautiful. I I and it, the, the 911 design is still uh, making people smile after well over 40 years. So that's pretty impressive. You are a very busy man with your job. Um, you spoilt us by coming on What's Under the Bonnet, not just once, but twice in uh, in recent time. And the insights, Ralph, have been fabulous for our audience. So thank you very much. Welcome. And I love your country. I've been, uh, been there several times. It's awesome. <laughs> so enjoy the vehicles. <laughs> Could spend hours listening and chatting with Ralph Legend and so engaging on this subject. We are going to, in coming episodes of the podcast as well, tackle this whole notion of government and infrastructure. And it's a subject, Nadine, that has been coming up regularly in the, the thread line, if you will, across many episodes so far. It is, yeah. And there are so many pieces to this puzzle, aren't there? And it's, you know, government incentives, infrastructure, you know, talking about the grid, can it cope? There are a lot of different things that are coming into play. It's not just one department or one state even that need to make some decisions and, and some action here. So we will be talking to a few people from uh, government as, and as well as some of the uh, electricity and energy experts that we have in the country. The boss, Mike Sinclair, he's cracking the whip. You're back on deck, aren't you? Absolutely. What kind of cool, what kind of projects have you got lined up for the year? Cool EVs to drive, come on. Yeah, we've got a big year. And I know I say it all the time, but if a manufacturer doesn't have an EV here already, they're getting one here this year and the other ones that do are bringing more models. So it is going to be a busy year and I think we've got some exciting product coming through. Look forward to hearing about it. Don't forget our sister podcast, The Showroom, for all the latest releases, news and more right across the whole landscape. Plus our buddy, Anthony Matafari, he's killing it hate him, along for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> he's born for Isn't this. Isn't he? He's absolutely made for it. Um, he's taking celebs and sports stars for 
a ride. Actually, they do the driving, thankfully. Uh, he's chatting to them from the passenger seat. He loves a chat, our Matta Ferrari. And a brand new one has just dropped in our suite of car sales pods here at Listener. It's called Everything You Auto Know. Everything You Auto Know in relation to cars, right? So simple, kind of bite-sized info on cars. Really easy, quick to digest. A kind of short cast version, if you will. And you'll find that super helpful with my friend Erin Molan navigating the, the jargon, chatting with our car sales experts on stuff that you need to know um, and answering questions for everyday types that aren't necessarily car gurus. So make sure you check that out. We're done for this edition of What's Under the Bonnet. Thank you, Nadine. Thank you, Rusty. Welcome back and look forward to the year ahead. Uh, Looking forward to it as well. We'll catch you next time, everybody. Bye for now. A listener production.